A big welcome to the Nick Elston Show, hosted by inspirational speaker and transformational speaking coach, Nick Elston. This show brings you the people who inspire, motivate, educate and engage in all walks of life, sharing their insights and experiences honestly, unfiltered and off script. So without further ado, let's get stuck into today's show. Hey everyone, a big welcome back to the Nick Elson Show. It's season four, episode 15, and I uh, I picked this guy up beforehand in last week's episode uh, to give you a heads up that he's coming on, so I think it's going to be a really powerful episode. Uh, I, without any further ado, want to introduce the wonderful, brilliant Nick Gazard. Big round of applause to Nick. Thank you, Nick. Hey, <laughs> thank you for coming on. I appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Yeah, it's nice to be on the show and, and you know, talk to you. Especially coming from a humble Bristol Rovers fan, hence the grey in the beard, and obviously the lofty Cheltenham town now that I feel well, kind of really subservient to. <laughs> well, you, you say that, but um, I don't know whether you know, but uh, I'm a Bristol lad. Um, so, I did, do you know what? I didn't know that. See, we're, we're finding yeah. things out already. So I was I was brought up in, in Shirehampton. Yeah. Um, I was a schoolboy with Bristol Rovers. Wow. There you go. Um, and then, obviously, when I went to university in Cheltenham, I was contracted to Cheltenham. So, yeah, I spent five years as a schoolboy of Bristol Rovers. So, yes. Wow. I like go. this. Played at Eastville. Do you remember the old Eastville stadium? I remember Eastville, yeah. I was, I was, I was My first game I went to was at Eastville, yeah. I mean, yeah. well, that's a rabbit hole. I think we're going to go down straight away. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, and, and my manager at the time, um, and I'm sure you remember him, was Frankie Prince. Yes, wow. There you go. A claim to fame, that is. Anyway, we, we've got to go on over the tangent. <laughs> Everyone else is thinking, what the hell are these guys on about? So for now, let me just introduce you. Nick, do you want to tell us kind of who you are? Uh, tell us, well, obviously, know where you're from now, what you do, and also give us the background to the uh, Halle, uh, Holly Gazard Foundation, please. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Um, yes, um, my name is uh, Nick Gazard. I'm Chief Executive and the founder of the Holly Gazard Trust. Um, back in 2014, my 20-year-old daughter, Holly, uh, was a hairdresser um, and she got into a relationship with someone that, um, if we say that it was a very, very unhealthy relationship and um, it was very difficult to get her out of that relationship, um, and to cut a long, long story short, uh, in February 2014, um, her ex-partner went into the salon where she worked and, and stabbed her to death. Um, so, you know, as you can probably imagine, that, that type of thing was totally uh, unprecedented in, in our lives. It was a huge shock, shock to me, my wife and, and Holly's sister. And... It's something that you never expect will happen to you. Um, but after a few weeks, and I got my head around it a little bit, um, I thought that, you know, Holly, Holly was too good a person just to let go. Um, and I, I really wanted something positive to come out of, of Holly's death. So I thought about perhaps creating a charity and really trying to help individuals like the Hollies that they're around and, and also parents 
you know, because obviously we go through some really tough times. Um, if we can help them, then I think it, it will be a positive angle on what happened to Holly. So I created the Holly Gazard Trust. Um, and, you know, at the outset, it was about trying to prevent these things happening to the other Hollies and concentrating on some of the issues that Holly faced, you know, the, the main ones there around stalking and, and domestic abuse. Um, so I set up a, the charity. One of the aims was to raise the awareness of these issues, which we do through all of our social media and our marketing. Uh, the second part of that charity was about educating young people around these issues and parents around these issues. So we, we have a number of accredited training programs now that we, we deliver to uh, schools, colleges, universities, uh, businesses, and other um, community groups. And the third one is about prevention. So we, we have our own personal safety app called HollyGuard, which we've mm. now got nearly 400,000 people using this, um, wow. along with... Uh, a lot of police forces for victims of crime, a lot of other charities and organisations for individuals who are either victims or survivors of these particular issues, but also just just keeping generally people safe. You know, even even school kids walking to school and back. Um, so, you know that that's sort of the nutshell of of what I did, um, and the trust has grown. Uh, you know, beyond my widest dreams, really, because you know we've now got full staff. We we operate nationwide. You know, we go I go around the whole country delivering training and and speaking at conferences and really just trying to get these issues and these messages across to people how dangerous both stalking and domestic abuse is. Firstly, Nick, well, thank you for sharing with such kind of candor and, and so candidly um, your experiences. I think it's truly courageous and and of course in such a, a a brutal experience and i remember kind of hearing about that actually on the news and it just really does hit home when you're speaking to people that are truly kind of impacted by this and it's um and it, obviously it should go without saying but just in case my my love is with you and your family for having to go through that experience and what fascinates me um and i think especially working in the in the mental health space in terms of, of what i do um is that same adversity and that experience could have easily taken down anybody else, somebody else. But what you've done, you've used it as a, a catalyst to create positive change. And that obviously wasn't an instant reaction. How did you kind of manage that process? And I think especially as a man, because it's not exclusively, but especially with men, sometimes we have really difficult times processing big emotional reactions yeah as you can probably imagine it was a massive shock at what happened that particular day and people ask me you know to you know what was it like or what is it like because you know it never ends for us um and the only way i can describe it is it, it is something which turns your life upside down inside out and back to front you know um you're suddenly put on a different path. You know, all the things that you, you, you've been building in your life and your family, your career, actually suddenly is put on hold and you have to react to the situation that is unfolding. And that's not only the, you know, the, the fact of trying to process 
you know, Holly being murdered um, and being gone forever. But it's all the other things around that, you know, things like the media, um, um, people, when, you, when you're talking to people, you know, at the outset, and I always remember this, is that, you know, we walk down the street and other people will cross the road because they, they, they couldn't face talking to you or even look at you. Uh, similarly, when we went to the supermarkets, you know, and it, and it took a lot to get into the supermarkets because that, you know, you don't, you, you feel that everyone's watching you and looking at you. Mm. Uh, and people would just turn around and go down a different aisle. So it was very difficult right at the outset to come to terms with the fact that people will see you in a very, very different light now. Um, and there are people who were um, wanting to talk to you, people who wanting your story, um, you know, and, and, I'll, and I'll sort of say this type of thing is that not all that was good. Um, there were people out there who um, we had trolls on, on on websites on Facebook. Really? Yeah. So um, wow. you know, we had, um, for for example, um, one of the things that um, we were uh, vilified, or I was vilified for, was letting my daughter go out with a black man. Um, and this was on a, an American website. Um, um, people sent it to us to, to show you what was happening. They have pictures of my my other daughter, my granddaughters on my grand granddaughter on there as well. Um, and you know that was hard to take because not only so are horrendous. you dealing with the loss of Holly, but actually other people are now starting to point fingers at you as to why you, did you do this, why did you do that. Um, so there's a lot of things which you have to contend with. Um, when these things happen, uh, and it's not just the the loss of your your daughter, it's all the other things around that, which you know, as you can probably imagine, has a massive impact on your your own health. Mm. Um, and it was one thing which I found very difficult, but you you, you just have to drive through. Um, and one thing I was very determined at, and still am, is not to let other people bring me down not to let other people stop me doing what I need to do. Um, and I have that real focus on trying to make things good um, out of this whole tragedy. And, and I think we're getting there and we're doing a lot of good. We know we've saved lots of lives from the, the feedback that we've had. Um, at a cost, you know, it's, it's cost me things. You know, I had a, it's cost me my, my job because I had to give up my job, my career. Um, it's affected my health. I don't know, two years ago, I, I had a stroke. Um, you know, that left me in hospital, unable to walk or talk uh, one stage. And it, and it was touch and go as to whether I would survive. But, you know, I battled through. Um, over the last 18 months, I've, I've worked on getting better and better. I'm not fully there yet. I've got some paralysis down my right side still. And I have um, um, some problems with my speech at times, particularly when I get stressed. Um, but I'm here and I'm, I'm living to, to continue fighting on behalf of Holly. So, you know, it's, it, it's been tough. I can't, I can't sort of put it in any other terms. It's been tough the last eight years. Um, it's, I, I truly think it's phenomenal what you're doing. And like you said, there would be that cost because you do become that kind of wounded healer in a sense that you're using your pain and experiences to try to channel that to other people to create positivity and, and good. The avoidance thing is interesting, actually. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I feel with 
with with grief generally, but I know when I've spoken to people that have lost a, a child, especially, that do you think people genuinely have this ignorance of what to say, or is it too uncomfortable to engage with, or maybe a mixture of the two? Um, I, I think because so. I know. So I was going to say, so I purely going to say that because I know from uh, a friend of mine who's going through the same situation said that actually he just wanted to be talking uh, spoken to normally he just wanted to but actually people felt that that would be inappropriate to talk normally yeah so what's your thoughts on that Uh, i think it's both people find it very difficult to to process it themselves Mm. uh, and they find it very difficult um, to know how to approach you and what to say Mm. you know when i first went back to my job in bristol um i got my team together and just said look just talk to me normally as you as you would and, and I'm very open about this um, in the sense of ask me any questions you want, because I have no shame with what happened to Holly. It happened. Um, I want people to know about it. And I want people to ask those questions that they're thinking about, but they're very, very difficult to ask. You know, yeah. I, I'm here, you know, ask. And I always say if I ever do conferencing or, or training, ask me anything you know um and people are a bit shy at the start but once someone asks a question then it it, the people then start to ask the questions and i always tell this story i did a a little bit of a training session for some some young people and they were i think eight to twelve year olds in a a local youth club and it's about healthy relationships and talk some about holly's story and obviously i made it um age appropriate Mm. um and at the end of it, I said, does anyone have any questions? You know, ask whatever you want to ask. And the great thing with kids is they don't have any filters. <laughs> no, you're quite right. <laughs> and this young girl, and she must have been maybe nine, eight, nine, she put her hand up and she said, did you cry when Holly got, died? And I said, yes, I did cry. And I still do cry because I, I think it's important to show your emotions. Um but I, I always remember that question because it was so innocent, but it's the question that she wanted to ask. And because she didn't have that filter, she asked it. And I, I was so grateful for her to ask that. So I always use that as an example now when, when I do conference speaking or training. Mm. So if, if you're being coy about trying to ask something, here's, here's an example. You know, Ask me whatever you want to ask because this is your opportunity. Um, and I'm not offended. I won't be offended by anything. Similarly, when I do training, if people, because I, I talk about so many emotional things, if you have to get up and leave, I say, please do so, because you've got to look after yourself. And if it's too much for you, please get up and remove yourself. And if you want to come back in, please come back in. If you don't, and that's fine. You know, I will totally understand, you know, because it's about looking after your health as well, whilst you're hearing things from me. Yeah, so you're safeguarding your audience. Uh, yeah, I th- again, I think it's that willingness to talk about things and actually give people that kind of upfront contract that you are okay to talk about stuff. You're okay to ask these questions. Yeah, absolutely. I guess in that same spirit, that the one thing that kind of really went through my head when I was kind of um, uh, researching kind of today and 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 this uh, podcast was actually the support networks at the time. So did you have those support networks to to tap into whether professionally or or not and also in terms of things like there's I think it's what a primal response of of anger or or revenge or justice or whatever that may look like for you how did that work for you as well in terms emotionally 
Uh, I think right at right the very outset, um, we were we were um, allocated to family liaison officers through the police, and they were brilliant, absolutely fantastic, uh, and they were like a, a, a a shoulder there whenever we wanted to, to, to cry or, or crutch if we wanted to, 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 to lean on. But we were also allocated a, a, a domestic homicide counsellor from Victim Support Specialist Unit. And again, she was absolutely brilliant. And I don't think we would have got to where we are today without those three people. So we had quite a bit of support at that stage. Um, but as time goes by, obviously that support gets withdrawn mm. because other things happen. And you know, now um, I don't think there is that support for people like us who have gone through this process. It seems to be that once you get past a certain point, and that might be, you know, the police investigations are finished, the court appearances have gone, the domestic homicide reviews, of the statute reviews that are undertaken have, have gone by and they've been published. And then you, then you get into a bit of a, a forgotten area, no man's land, you know, mm. Now, I, I can't put my hand on heart today and say there is a body out there that I can go to to talk to uh, because there, I don't think there is that, or not, not that I'm aware. Um, so, you know, we've got to now live the rest of our lives with ha- without that support, which I'm, you know, everyone deals with it in different ways. And my daughter deals with it in different ways and my wife deals with it in different ways. And, you know, we need that support every now and again. But it's mm. really not there. And, you know, the, the Together Trust and the mental health, they don't know how to handle these situations. Um, and once, you remember when we tried to get some, some support from my wife, it came back to say that we were too complex to deal with because of what we've been through. And my, my wife had some mental health issues anyway, and, and they couldn't deal with us. Uh, well, that's wow. all good, but where does that leave us? And I think, you know, families like um, ourselves who have gone through traumatic events such as this, there isn't that specialist support out there. Um, And I I do quite a lot of work with um, Nottingham Trent University in their their criminology department. I set them projects each year and they have a a module called Criminology in the Real World. so one of one of the master's students this year, I set her a project of, you know, analysing what support there is out there long term for families who've been um, survivors of domestic homicides. Um, so she's just going through that analytical process now and research mm. of finding out. And I, I don't think there's anything out there, you know. Wow. So, so the motivation to create the, the trust to to create a movement was it kind of part of your your way back or, or was it initially fueled by that kind of lack of solution uh, what was the motivation initially to do that um my original motivation for it was to really try to prevent these things happening to other young people like holly um mm. because you know a loss of a of a sibling and a, one that's you know so young you know she's only just 20 is such a difficult thing to take on board. Um, so if we can prevent someone going through this and ending up like Holly, then that was my original intention. Um, mm. It's now broadened and widened because of the, the requests that we're getting. Uh, and we know that we can help other people by 
sharing Holly's story and, and, and getting them to learn from it. Um, you know, this area, domestic abuse and stalking, is so it's so new when you look at it that the, the laws are only very, very recent. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's something which is getting uh, above the table now, whereas previously it was way below the table. So we're starting yeah. to talk about these things more. But as you probably know, this has a huge impact on mental health of individuals, let alone you know, the physical side of things, but massive impact on psychological and emotional um, abuse that's around along with stalking. Absolutely. You know, it's, 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 it's huge. Um, and I think you know, society completely underestimates, you know, what impact that this has. You know, when we talk about stats and not, not big one for stats, but, you know, one in four women are abused in a lifetime. One in six men stalking one, one in one in six women are stalked one in 10 men. You know, that's huge amounts of people mm. each year that are affected by these two particular issues. And, you know. Um, we've got to provide that support for them and, and try and help them. This show is sponsored by Forging People, transformational speaking coaching. Are you truly being heard in life, in business, in education, even at home? Your ability to deliver any message with clarity, power and emotion will have an ultimately defining impact on your success as a speaker, leader and influencer. For more information, contact team at forgingpeople.com. Are you truly being heard? It's time to find your voice. And I guess amplified by things like social media, and we've kind of alluded to the toxicity of that, but also that, that kind of constant connection as well, the constant visibility. Yeah, absolutely. You know, technology is a good thing uh, in many ways, but in terms of these two issues, it, it really enables perpetrators to um, perpetrate their crimes, really. Um, you know, if you, talk, if you just took stalking for an example, to stalk someone previously, you know, you had to be physically around them. Now with technology, you can stalk anywhere, anywhere in the world, you know, mm. very easy and very cheaply um, with the technology that's out there. Um, and that's frightening. Um, it really is. And I think you've mentioned the amazing work you do in education. And I know you work in, in businesses as well. My audience is a, a real kind of a mashup of people from the education space, from the business space, lots of different walks of life. And I know that you would be able to help so many establishments and organizations and businesses to really help them improve around the awareness around this stuff. How does it look when somebody engages you to, to go in and deliver training or to deliver a talk around this stuff? Yeah, I, I find it really positive and really um, motivational for me, you know, that someone wants to learn, someone wants to, to help, you know, their staff. If it's, if it's a business, you know, we, we just did a big one um, last week with Manpower Services. You know, they're a massive company. We, we yeah. took them their um, heads off people and, and we took them through a whole day's training which we deliver called working without fear and this is about supporting the business and employees within um, a company around the issues of stalking and domestic abuse and we got some some great feedback from those guys so you know we we got those training programs available for businesses to tap into and each time we get someone come to us and say can you come and deliver this then I find that really motivational for me because 
we're potentially helping other people each time, whether it's at business or other organizations, you know, every time we deliver that training, it's helping other people either not go through this or prevent it, or they can help other people by just being trained, you know? So every time I, I, I get that request, it, it fills my heart with glee that actually we're, we're getting more people through this. We're helping more people. Um, Absolutely. And I'm going to I'll mention this again before we finish today as well. But anybody that wants to connect with Nick, I know we'd be really happy to hear from you. Uh, if you're interested in bringing Nick and his uh, training and speaking into the organization that you are with, uh, then please do reach out to Nick. Uh, strongly recommend that's a really good thing to do. And actually, the education space, Nick, is that's a fascinating one as well because um, I recently was at a a college where I was doing kind of a series of talks, but in between I would dip into classrooms and just kind of meet people and stuff. And it's amazing that how much of an impact you can actually have by being in the space, because we forget sometimes how privileged we can be to come from uh, healthy relationships with like healthy role models or healthy uh, figures. Um, and and not everyone in, in their kind of childhood and young adulthood has that. So I think there's so much good that could be done right at the beginning of somebody's life, isn't there? Absolutely. I think, you know, I've learned from the past eight years that the, the, the earlier you can actually start talking to young people about these subjects, you know, the, the more informed they are and the more they can look after themselves and their friends. Mm. Um, so, you know, I love going into schools talking about healthy relationships um, to young people. Um, and from the feedback that we get via the teachers, it is really helping. Uh, and it's not something a lot of schools are comfortable with actually delivering or because it's so personal, mm. um, young people will actually engage with you because you've lived that experience. Um, you're not someone teaching it from a textbook that actually Absolutely. hasn't gone through this. They can look at you uh, and they can see that you've lived that experience. So what you're telling them, they're really sitting up and listening to. And I think that's that's the power of being able to get in uh, and talk to those young people and hopefully um, make them go, go on to be good citizens, you know, have healthy relationships, not go through what Holly uh, went through. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. And I think you're right. It's the same kind of with my angle in, in, in the work that I do is that, the lived experience piece actually is so powerful it's massively kind of underestimated as well as you are solution focused too which is a bonus but even that lived experience piece it's the perfect vehicle to drive engagement because it relates to people on an emotional level we can feel your experiences that this this vibe of this this episode is very different to the usual vibe of my episode because i can feel what you're talking about and i can feel that and, and that's kind of what it's like, isn't it? You're taking people on that journey in a very safe way because you're giving them that kind of upfront contract with them that this is what you're going to be talking about. And it creates so much change because actually what you do is you leave people feeling like they want to be doing something positive and, and to follow your example that, look, and I know you're probably too modest to accept that, but that kind of thought that, well, if, if Nick can do this, then I can do this too. And that's kind of what you're doing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We're trying to get those messages across that, you know, um, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing to be frightened of. Um, it's nothing to be ashamed of if you're going through this. 
actually we can help you um, perhaps come out the back end of it or put you in the right directions because you know none of these things are the choice of the victims they're all the choice of the people that are perpetrating these crimes um, so you know we, we don't distinguish between victims and perpetrators when we talk to young people because that, mm. that would be uh, that would be wrong what we're trying to do is get the right messages across that this is how you should have a relationship and this is the things that you should expect and these are the things that actually are not right within a relationship. Um, and hopefully these people uh, can make up their own minds then by having that information delivered to them, you know, mm. what is right and what is wrong. Um, and and we we'll do that by using examples and of, of, of what happened in Holly's case. And I, I always believe that, you know, that lived experience is absolutely key, particularly for young people to get across to them. But if they can actually see an example of that and they can feel it uh, i think that's much much more powerful than any words can can sort of um dictate really you know they can see they can feel they can hear it that that's that is really powerful for me yeah absolutely i think you're, you're bang on there uh, so like i said part of what you do kind of uh the the motivational speaking part uh and i know you're award-winning motivational speaker which is fantastic and actually Again, it's another real positive because you're, you're motivating people to create positive change. You're creating that kind of desired positive impact that you want to achieve when you're in front of people. But was speaking something that you did beforehand or something that you developed as part of this cause and this movement? Um, I, I did a little bit of speaking in my in my financial services job before, but not, not a huge amount. But it's, it's one of those things where you get dropped in at the deep end and you either sink or you swim. Um, and for me, <laughs> whatever, I've, <laughs> whatever I've done in my life, I, I've, I've done with a, a smile. Um, and, and, and if you look at Holly's photographs and she, she's behind me here, every photograph you will see is with Holly smiling because she was that type of person and she's very much similar to me. And I, and I always do try and do things with a smile because you know, there's too much negativity in this world so I always try and bring the positives out, out of things and if you do it with a smile I think you'll get a better message across um, so so yeah um, it's one of those things where you get chucked in the deep end uh, and fortunately I, I swam um, and <laughs> yeah. to be truthful I, I really enjoy public speaking now um, it's addictive isn't it yeah, I've done a lot of TV work, radio work, but and, and I love doing TV as well. I, 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 because it allows me to focus on what I'm actually trying to to get get across. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. Every time I do it, it's hard because you, you're talking about Holly. You talk about what happened mm. to her, um, and that's hard. But the focus I always have is on that positivity of of, of doing good for other people. You know, and and I've always been, you know someone who put who puts back into society you know ever, ever since i um can remember you know i've, I've done yeah. a lot of volunteering for and football and things like that so you know to me it's it's trying to get you know those messages across to those young people and it does create opportunities by that kind of increased visibility uh but but of, again being seen recently we had um jackie weaver on the show of the infamous uh Council Zoom call uh, that went viral, and it's yes. she's, then she went on to host the Brits, and she was on Mastermind, and all these kind of different things. And um, but like she said, it's just amazing to think that it came from kind of one thing, and and I think that's what you do. And I certainly experienced it in my kind of speaking career as well. That, that doors open that just wouldn't have been possible without you being able to step up. But you have touched on something really important, 
is you're delivering uh, an emotionally powerful story, something that obviously truly connects with your soul. And actually, when you're delivering that to an audience, it's such a it's such a different dynamic, isn't it? Because it's kind of you're not like you're replaying something. You're you're trying to deliver it from a third party perspective. What the audience learn from your experiences. Yeah. Well, at the same time, you're feeling those things too. Um, and I think that's important for people to understand. And the power of a delivery in, on, on those kind of messages actually is you're taking the audience with you on the story. So actually, you very much bring them in on that, don't you? And you kind of you, you, do. you take them along on the story. Yeah, you do. And, and you know, it's, it's something which I've experienced over a period of time. And again, I can tell you another little story, which I often... I often Please tell do. people is that um, you know the the counselors right at the outset t- always told us that this will be a roller coaster ride for you. It will be up and down, up and down in terms of your emotions and how you will feel for the rest of your life, uh, and that's absolutely right. And whilst I, I I really enjoy what I do and and, and get this message across now, you know I was asked to do a. Um, a session and a conference at one of the Gloucester University actually a few years ago and I woke up that morning and I thought I don't really want to do this today um, because that's how I felt but mm-hmm. I've made that commitment um, so I went along to the university and it was in the lecture theatre and all the people were there and I all I did was I put a slide up the one that you can see there of Holly on the screen and I said I don't really want to do this today because I don't feel um, right, it's one of those down days, but I'll give you half an hour from my heart. And I just spoke about half an hour. Um, and the positive comments and the positive vibes I got back from the audience afterwards was incredible. Uh, and it's so hum- humbling for me to, to have that feedback. But, you know, that was just an, an example of sometimes you you just feel that you don't want to do it or you can't do it. Mm. Yeah, I, I, big respect for you as well. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the power of being able to show vulnerability. There's a double-edged sword, though, isn't it? Because actually by you showing your vulnerability, you are really amplifying your message in, in allowing people to make you, them feel what you're talking about in that context of that half an hour. However, I also know it will take a lot of your energy as well. Uh, and, yeah, you do, you do become that kind of conduit, don't you, for the, for the story. And it, you kind of know those peaks and troughs are going through that energy kind of vibe. And it's that's yeah. difficult. And how do you manage your, your kind of um, your energy? I say energy in terms of kind of there is a there is a misconception, I think, for people that have been through an, a, an adversity such as you have, that there's a there's a misconception of like kind of uh, hallelujah this guy's cured he knows exactly what to do and he's now going to tell us what to do to make us feel better kind of thing and yeah. I mean that 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 certainly sometimes can be thrown at me and I will say well look <laughs> I manage my crap to varying degrees of success pretty much every day some days I wake up not feeling life and some days I f- wake up feeling brilliant and somewhere in between yeah if you yeah. do wake up feeling like that how do you bring yourself back nick what what kind of how do you recharge your battery yeah i think the first thing to say there is i never tell other people what to do because everyone's different and all, all i can all i can say is these are my experiences and these are my mm. thoughts and my feelings and then you make up your, your mind as to what you do whenever i uh, i wake up 
I always think about Holly and I always think about what she would want. And I know what she would want. You know, she she's sat on my shoulder now. And I always think about her sat on my shoulder saying, get out there and do it, Dad. Come on, you can do it. Get out there and do it. And she gives me that inspiration, you know, each day to get up, get out of bed and, and go and do it. And when I feel down, you know, I just think about I'm lucky to be here. Mm. Holly's not. And therefore, I have to deliver what Holly wants me to deliver uh, because I'm her voice now and I, I've got to do that uh, and I've got to, you know, uh, carry on as if, if she were here. Um, so I always feel lucky. I always feel lucky because I had Holly for 20 years. Uh, I'm still here, so I need to get out there and, and, and do it on her behalf. And that, that's the way I always think about these things. It's beautiful. And in terms of you standing up, especially those kind of, those ad hoc kind of, this is me from the heart kind of bit, that, that, that's powerful, to be honest, that's really powerful. However, do you find that that's also can still be your therapy space as well, that you're talking through your thoughts and feelings with a, a real live audience of people? Do you still find that therapy space for you in a way? Do you, yeah. do you it helps you to get stuff out of your head and into the real world? Yeah, I think I think it's um people say to me, well, how do you do what you do? How do you talk about this, you know, from what you've been through? I said, Well, I don't know any different. Um, I do what I think it's right. Um, and I do I think what Holly would want me to do as well. Um, and talking about Holly, I love, absolutely love talking about Holly because you know what why shouldn't I? She was, yeah. you know, <laughs> that really comes across as well, mate, as well. I have yeah. to say it does, does come across. Yeah, she was such an awesome daughter to me for those 20 years. And yeah, I will celebrate her life until, you know, I, I meet her again. So, uh, you know, I love talking about Holly. And, you know, the more that people ask me about her, the, the, the better I feel. So I think it's, it's probably my therapy talking about her. Um, and hopefully it's something which is helping my mental health without me knowing it by sharing the great stories about Holly, the, the love that she had. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes we, we tell stories about Holly that you know, people wouldn't believe. So, um, uh, so I think, yeah, that's probably my therapy, but yeah, I love talking about her. <laughs> Again, it's, it's such a, it's such a beautiful thing in the way that you've kind of fronted that. And actually, like you said, not everyone would, would take that kind of more open approach. Do you, even maybe people close to your your wife and, and Holly's sister would uh, they got different approaches again in how they've kind of moved through the process? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and as as we all are individuals, and we and we deal with grief in in our own way. Um, you know, my other daughter, she's gradually coming forward now, and she's getting more involved with the trust, which is great because you know she still finds it very difficult to you know hear me talk about Holly sometimes mm. um, in all the videos I've done. She, she doesn't look at them because, you know, she, she has to, she has to take it in a, a slower pace and, you know, bit by bit, hopefully over a period of time, she will be able to perhaps do what I do or parts of what I do um, because I find that very therapeutic, you know, and, and my, my wife, you know, she's a bit more in the background in, in that sense, a bit, bit, bit yeah. quieter and, and that's how she deals with it. Um, but I've always been the upfront, bit like Holly, really, the upfront socialite person. I love talking to people. I love being with people, as Holly did. Because, and that's why she she really fell into the hairdressing side of things, because she had the gift of the gab. She loved talking to people. 
Um, and I think you know, we were very much like two peas in the pod, really. Fantastic. Really, really love that. So if people want to, to help in terms of uh, the, uh, the trust, how can people help? Uh, they can obviously. Uh, the first thing for me is to is to join our social media, um, whatever you call them, platforms. You know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we send out lots of information. You know, read that, digest that information, tweet about it, um, post it on your own site, share it, get this information out there to people. Um, they can obviously. Um, obviously, a lot of what we do is about fundraising as well. So they can fundraise for us. Um, there's lots of information on our site about fundraising and how they can uh, run their own events. We've got our Walk for Holly, which is on the 15th of uh, next month, May. Um, you can come and join us in Gloucester or you can do it virtually. Um, that, that's fine. Uh, and then we have what's called a Purple Holiday on the 8th of July, Friday, the 8th of July. And we're trying to get everyone to, to do something around the colour purple, you know, because it's one of Holly's favourite colours is the colour of the trust. Uh, it's Holly's birth month, so we've got a purple Holly day. Um, that's really cool. We've really got a cool. bit of interest last year, and we're getting more and more interest this year. So, you know, that that's about having fun. And I talked about, you know, Holly was a fun-loving person, as I am. And whilst we are trying to deliver a, a serious message, in other areas, you know, we have a lot of fun. Um, and we mustn't get uh, away from that fact that, you know, we can we can do both as long yeah. as we balance it, you know, and we have fun with the events that we do. So, you know, the next couple was Walk for Holly and the Purple Holiday. Um, but go to our website. There's lots of information on there as well. You can, you can do all sorts of things there. You can, you can volunteer for us. You can fundraise for us. Um, or, you know, just get us into your business or your organisation and let us help deliver some of these messages through our training programmes, you know. So that's another area. Yeah, absolutely. It's so underrepresented to the extent I've never heard of it. And bearing in mind, this is kind of what I do every day in, in that kind of space. I've never heard anybody speaking about this or delivering sessions on this. So again, I will be your biggest champion from here on in. I promise you, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's, it's so important. So important. So actually, that would be a really nice way to kind of start to bring this conversation to a close. That, tell us about Holly. She sounded like an amazing human being. What kind of what stuff was she into? What does she love to do? Yeah, Holly was, a, I always call her, she was a very vivacious, she was effervescent, um, she was fun-loving, social, boy. she had a real social circle of friends, um, she was very, very sporty growing up, um, so she loved football, she came with me to football, um, she did horse riding, she did any sport you can think of, Holly tried it, because um, she loved trying things. Um, she then got into the beauty side of things, so beauty and hair, and that's why she went down the hair route. Um, but she was, you know, she was only five foot two or three, um, but she was what I call the mighty imp. She had a huge <laughs> amount of power, um, power in terms of her presence, presence as well, you know, you know, and this is a bit of a cliche, but, you know, when she did walk into that room with that smile, people stood up and looked, um, and she got people you know out of their seats and that's hopefully what I do as well when when I talk about Ollie absolutely well, I certainly felt that today like I said it's been a been a roller coaster for me just asking the questions and, and having a conversation with you so like genuinely I, that's not often I'm speechless Nick but I'm getting there to be fair um <laughs> Nick thank you so much for sharing what you've done today and I think it will have helped a lot of people whether that's to 
to really understand people maybe have been in a, a same or similar situation or just people that need to know this stuff within an organization, whoever they are. I know people would have learned a lot from that and just enjoyed what you've been able to share in terms of the insights, because as you said, it can be a real taboo subject to kind of ask yeah. questions around and especially to answer them. And you've done that exceptionally. So thank you. But the question I like to ask everybody that comes on the show, and I'm going to ask you two questions in uh, in memory of Holly. I'm going to ask about Holly's choice as well, straight after. So I'm going to set the scene. I am now the MC of the O2 Arena in London. 20,000 people have paid our hard-earned money to come and hear you talk. You're in the green room, you're kicking back, sipping a beer, whatever your tipple of choice is, and your walk-on music kicks on. That song that motivates you, that lifts you, that gets you at peak state. Nick, what would your choice be as you walk to the stage? Ooh, um, it would be um, probably one of the jam tracks because I was a real jam fan. In fact, I saw Paul Weller last, um, last Friday at the centre in, uh, in Cheltenham. Nice. I think it would be um, That's Entertainment by The Jam. Great choice. So that... And every other guest that will be added to the playlist at the end of season four. But I'm going to ask a bonus question in memory of Holly. If Holly was being an ex of a stage and 20,000 people paid their hard-earned money to come and hear her do her thing, and she was sat in the green room and I was introducing her, what track do you think Holly would have walked onto? What really represents her as a tune to walk onto? Um, I think Bruno Mars, The Way You Are. Tune. And that song will also be on the playlist at the end of season four. This is going to be a fantastic playlist. Nick Gazard, from me to you, big round of applause. You're welcome. Very, very welcome. Thanks, Nick. Thank you so much, Nick. And genuinely, one of my most favourite shows. It's been so powerful. So thank you. I feel like I've been through the roller coaster myself and just been talking to you for a little while. So I hope we get to meet in person very soon. Um, And... Yeah, that sounds really good. Thank you, Nick. And for everybody else, please stay tuned for next Monday's episode. And uh, we'll have another amazing guest coming your way. So in in the meantime, take care, be well, and stay happy. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Do hit the like button and subscribe to stay tuned for future episodes published every Monday and available through YouTube or the podcast platform of your choice. See you next week.